started something. Hey. Ah. And praise don't stop. Ain't nothing like being in the sanctuary, y'all. Ain't nothing like being in the sanctuary. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my Lord. Bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. I hope you didn't turn your refrigerator over this morning. No, keep your table and chairs over. Just be, remind, be reminded that can't nobody do me like Jesus, my Lord. I almost feel like running. Hey, told me to run on. And he told me we need some healing these days. I know he is. Oh, y'all couldn't up this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Thank you for your abundance of grace and your mercy. Thank you for keeping us. Lord, there are those among us who are struggling through no cause of their own, Lord. They're struggling. There's a pestilence in our land, Lord, and it's landing where it will. It's touching who it wants to, Lord. Some bodies react differently than others. We ask you to keep your hand of grace all about us, Lord. We know that you're Jehovah Rapha and you're a healer. And so we ask you to let your healing power, your healing grace, your healing mercy fall all over this land and these people. Uh, I realize, Lord, there are things that we can do to mitigate the impact of this disease. So please help us to be wise in what we do. Be smart about where we go, Lord, and use those tools that you've already given us to keep ourselves and our families together. But while we talk about the pestilence in the land, Lord, let's talk about the pestilence in our spirits. Let's talk about the sin that's so pervasive in our land, Lord. We ask you, too, to continue to let your grace shine upon us, Lord, and don't let us succumb to the results of our own sin. We ask you to give us the power that comes from the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that blood that can solve all our sin problems the blood that paid our sin debt, Lord, we ask you to continue to let its power be ever increasing. Now, Lord, we ask you to bless this, this message, help it to be fruitful for our fellowship, help it to be helpful for our hearers. Lord, give it the strength that it needs to have for each individual. We thank you for who you are, how you love us, and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray and ask it all. Amen. Amen, we're back for another period of celebration and edification. So I desire that this word that the Lord has given me would make you better. Yeah, not make you bitter, make you better. Would uplift you, undergird you, help you to be a better person, help you to be a stronger believer and also be an example for other folks. We ended a series last month we called Renew. We turned the page into February and now we're into another season on our thematic calendar that centers upon the theme of love. We often in this season of the year talk about issues pertaining to the family, 
no different this year. We'll concentrate over the next few weeks on some sermons that deal with the issue of family. But I want to do a little different spin this week, this month. I want us to do it just a little bit different. I want us to talk about the reality of the family we have. Not, not, the, not the one we want to have necessarily. We always talk about that in a hopeful, loving way. But sometimes we spend so much time on hope <laughs> that we don't talk about what is. Yeah, we just kind of gloss over it. And so this time, this sermon series is going to be entitled, This Is Us. This is us. Yeah, today our sermon is going to be entitled, Me and My Real Family. Me and my real family. I'm not talking about the family that you display on social media. I'm not talking about that family. I'm not talking about the perfect pictures you post. I'm not talking about the notion that you have that everything, if they looked at your social media feed, that everything is going well. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your real family. Yeah, I'm talking about the bad pics, the burn up food. I'm talking about the aftermath of the family get together when Uncle Jojo done got drunk and, and everybody's mad at him. I'm talking about me and my real family. Because everybody's got something like that going on. But not everybody lays that out there for everyone to see. And still, you stuck in the middle of those real situations. I'm not talking about the marriage with all the pretty pictures we've taken, posed for, and gone out. I'm talking about at the end of the day when y'all got y'all back turned to each other and the baby's still crying, and you sitting there waiting to see if he gonna get up, and he waiting to see if you gonna get up, and we trying each other. I'm talking about those kind of pics. I'm talking about those pics where it's time for you to get off work and you dread going home because it's just gonna be another argument. I'm talking about the baby that's sick. I'm talking about the child that's got, drug, got a drug problem, or the husband that's got a drinking problem, or the wife that's got both a drinking and a drug problem. Those are real issues that are in our community. I'm talking about having to come home from work after a long day and nurse a partner or a parent who's ill, but who is also very demanding, having to deal with all those issues. I'm talking about our real families. And guess what? You would be remiss if you didn't think that wasn't included in the Bible. You, you would be wrong if you didn't think that God has real families in the Bible. For some reason, people think that we just gloss over problems. Can I tell you, God doesn't deal with perfect families. No, 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 no. The messages that we get, the lessons that we learn, they don't come from perfect families. In fact, the only way we can learn is by looking at those imperfect people to see where they went wrong and see how we can try to get it right. So no efforts are going to be made to abrash the complexions of even the most notable households that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about families this month, families with problems. We're going to talk about how to deal with those problems and how... And hopefully you'll have the strength to deal with them because it's only in dealing with those issues that you can get better. God doesn't really attempt to hide the dirty laundry that's in Bible families. That's not his purpose. Nope. So we're going to call our church a no perfect people allowed church. All right? No perfect people allowed. Can I tell you, there's no such thing. There are no perfect people. Nowhere. Nowhere, no matter how much they gloss it up and make it seem, no, no one is perfect, all right? So no perfect families allowed. But, but when we look at people, 
Be honest with yourself. You sometimes look at folk. Just be honest now. You don't have to tell anybody but, but, but the person sitting next to you and, and maybe nobody's there. Be honest with yourself. Sometimes you look at folk and you're envious of what you think they have. Yeah. You, you, you look at the outer presentation and you don't understand what's going inwardly. Yeah. You, you don't. You don't get it. 2008 Casting Crown had a song that was very, very thematic about what I'm talking about right now. It's called Stained Glass Masquerade. Stained Glass Masquerade. And the writer asked, is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play the part again so everyone will see me the way that I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles to hide our pain. But if the invitation's open to every heart that has been broken, maybe then we'll close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. Every Sunday, we come in and we put on the me I want folks to see. And we hide the me I really am. And sometimes we do it for so long that we start believing it ourselves, and when we can't meet those levels of expectation, it throws us into a fit of despair. When we of all people knew that was never us from the first place. But let me ask you, how do we get to a place where the hospital for hurting people has only become a habitat for those who are given the appearance that they're all right? How can a doctor help you if you go see him and all you ever tell him is everything is all right? How can the doctor help you if you never admit to yourself that something is wrong? Maybe we're all still struggling through this stained glass masquerade. I don't want that to be this church. No, 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 no. Because 4-5 is full of people who are struggling. Come on now. I know I'm not the only one. We got struggling people. We got stressed out people. We got good families that's striving to do better. But we don't have any perfect families in here. No, 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 no. We need to go on record and let you know that we know we don't have any perfect families in here. That doesn't mean you don't come from a family with good people in it. I'm saying good people have problems. Those problems, once addressed, can help other good people with problems. But we don't have any perfect people and this doesn't talk about anybody's mother, anybody's father, but if they were here, they would tell you, I've had some problems. And those problems have gotten in my way sometimes. And people need to be able to come to a church without thinking they need to have to wear a mask in order to fit in. We need to close the curtain on those stained glass masquerade episodes so that hurting people will know I can come to this place and I'm in a safe environment. Most of the time, people come to church to keep up an image. 
instead of allowing the church to infuse them with the healing that they need. Turn to somebody right there next to you, even if it's just yourself in the mirror, and say, I'm not perfect, and neither are you. Yeah, I'm not perfect, and neither are you. If you've never asked yourself, if you've ever asked yourself if you're the only one in church feeling so small, as the songwriter said, the answer is no. People all around you are sitting there with a grin on their face, and they are realizing that they are struggling every single day. So God's word can address this, this issue. Why? Because at his core, he cares about you. He cares about how you feel. He cares about your family. Doesn't want you to think you're a second-class citizen just because your family has flaws. He cares about if you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed, married with kids, married with no children. He cares about the family flaws you're facing right now. In fact, God wants to help you handle the abnormal things about your family. One woman had a unique way of saying about her family's issues. She said, the only normal thing in our house is on our clothes dryer, the knob that says normal. <laughs> if you've ever felt that way, then I tell you this is the series you want to hear. All right? So we begin our series today with the very first family. Why not? Just out the gate, problems with the family that God created. Yeah, right there in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine that the perfect home and there were problems right out the gate? We're talking about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. They had problems. Can you imagine if you were Seth, how do you go back and explain to folk your family history? Seth, you know, Seth is the child who came. Y'all know the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. If you don't know it, Adam and Eve were the first man and first woman. After they sinned in the garden, uh, they were allowed to have two children, Cain and Abel. As in the course of time, Cain would kill his brother Abel. And he killed his brother Abel. Can I be honest? Because he was jealous. Because Abel got the favor of God because of the offering he gave God. And Cain didn't get the favor of God. And because of that jealousy, he killed his brother. Yeah, killed his brother. Well, a third child born after Cain and Abel was named Seth. Can you imagine the re reverberations in his life? How does he explain when folks say, who are your folks? Where are your brothers? And he has to sit there and explain to them that my, my brother killed the other brother. This is, this is clearly a problem for him, and it brings us to some of the things we're going to talk about today. Every family has problems. Can you imagine Adam and Eve just in a normal setting when they ask themselves, what did we do wrong for this to happen to our children? We loved them the same. We fed them the same. We thought, is it something we did? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, it's something they did. How do you survive? People are asking themselves this question about problems they're having in their lives when they know that they've done everything they can do. 
And they know they've struggled and given their best effort. How do you survive it when a spouse walks out? How do you survive it when you got a rebellious child? What about family members who are addicted on a self-destructive course? What do you do about those situations? What about a family member who's out of control in their spending? They don't seem to be physically hurting anybody, but you can't hardly put milk in the refrigerator because the account is always empty. What do you do under those circumstances? They're just lazy and inconsistent. You know they say they go to work every day, but work don't ever show up in regions. Oh, <laughs> compass. What's the struggle there? We're having problems. I know we got good jobs, but I can't ever see the fruit of the good job. A father who won't be a daddy or a mama who shuns her responsibilities as a mother. How do you handle these things? How do you deal with these family flaws? This is us. This is us. I'm not talking about other folk. We don't have to go to the other side of the world to find folk with flaws. We can come to East Lake. We can come to your lake. We can come to your house. And those problems are there. Some of y'all have felt these pains. Some of you have felt the actual pains of family abuse. How do you explain that to anybody? Physical, verbal, sexual, horrible abuse. Nobody's trying to minimize it. Nobody's trying to say it hasn't happened. It has happened, and it's affected your world, not just your world growing up, but how you engage in the next level of relationships is impacted by what happened in your family. And the fact that you won't talk about it makes it even worse because it puts that burden on somebody else to make them think they've done something. Broken relationships, how do you deal with those? God has some comfort for us today. Well, while you're building it up like this, Reverend Sparks, I can't build it up enough. I can't tell your story. You know your story. I'm just telling you your story is not unique. The Bible is full of these stories, and all you have to do is turn to Genesis. And right out the bat, off the bat, you see that God is trying to help us. He's caring for us. He's telling us that from the very first family I created, problems abounded. And yet he said, I love you. Yeah, Adam and Eve would turn around and say, this is us. Yeah, yeah, we could tell the story about living in Eden. We don't really want to tell the story that we got put out. We could tell the story that God blessed us with two children. It's hard to tell the story that one killed the other. But this is us. This is us. So concerning the family of Adam and Eve, bad news is it really happened. But there's a recovery from them. There's a movement on. Can I tell you, they survived the flaws that they had. That's the good news. They survived those flaws and moved on to a new reality. But they set the foundation for us. Guess what? I have to tell you this too now. The Bible says that we've all sinned. If you're sitting there looking down your nose or listening with a jaded perspective, can I tell you, the Bible says we've all sinned because we all inherited their sinful nature. So even if you've gotten everything right for a long time, guess what? You were born with that sinful nature in you. But I got good news for you because even if you were born with it, there are those of us who've learned that we can be born again. And so that's the good news. 
It trumps all the personal and family problems that you might have. So yeah, we are all flawed, but guess what? God's grace is greater than our family flaws. It is. So if we had to have a general theme and you wanted to write it down for your latest perspective, then go to Romans 5 and 20. If you read it in the Amplified Version of the Bible, I think it'll give you a clearer perspective. Where, uh, where sin increased and abounded, grace, which is God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased and superabounded. Yeah, so where sin was and seemed to be winning, God's grace surpassed that sin and increased over that sin and superabounded. That's the hope we have, that God's grace is bigger than our problems. So, Genesis chapter 3 tells the story of Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. I just told you about that. You've heard it before. God gave them the whole garden. The whole garden. Told them you could have anything in it. There's one tree you can't touch. Guess what? They touched the tree. Not only did they touch it, they ate from it. The very one place that God told them not to do, they did it. And because of that, that's what we call the fall of man. Yeah, they had complete liberty, but that wasn't enough. Enjoy everything. Enjoy paradise. Not only did they have complete uh, liberty in paradise, Alvin, guess what? God visited them every day. Can you imagine? The Bible says that God came and communicated and walked with them every single day. What a perfectly wonderful state to live in. It's what we all hope and imagine for, those of us who believe in God. And that's exactly what they had. But there was one little niggling thing in the back of their mind. Why did he tell us not to touch this tree? What is it about the tree? And all it takes is someone who does not mean you're good to come in and implant the seed, and that's exactly what happened. The evil one, the enemy, one whom they knew came because she didn't run from him. When Satan came up into the garden, the Bible doesn't say that Eve ran from him. The Bible says she stood and had a conversation with him. And his power of persuasion was more powerful than her power of reason. And so she pulled from that tree that she shouldn't have been near in the first place. And she ate from it. And that sinful interaction is the essence of why we're having problems these days. Don't eat it. They blew it. The serpent lied to them, and they fell for it. They did the one thing God told them not to do. So God confronted, there's a reason I'm telling you this, particularly on this first Sunday, you'll see. And so God confronted them about their rebellious behavior. He confronted them. He came down, and I, and I want to give you, you can go read Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 24. Those are the scriptures. Those are the scriptures. So God confronted them on their religious behavior. Came down for his daily walk and asked them, what, what are you hiding from? Yesterday you weren't hiding. Today you're hiding. Why? Somehow between one day and the next, shame had entered the picture. The day before, they didn't know what shame was. But once sin stepped in, shame covered them. What happened? 
from one day to the next. It's like that with us as well. And guess what? Well, they did the same thing we do. Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. Everybody's passing the book. And so after going through the error that they committed, God does something interesting, and I want you to pay attention to this now. God, according to verse 21 of that chapter, says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. First thing he did was not put them out of the garden. He didn't evict them. The first thing he did was not to pronounce the consequences of their sin. That's not the first thing he did. After listening to the sin, after realizing that they have disobeyed him, he didn't immediately go to punishment. All right, before he expels them from the Garden of Eden, which was for their benefit. You should know this, because otherwise they'd have stayed in the Garden of Eden and continued eating from that tree and stayed in a sinful state the entire time. So removing them from Eden protected them from their own decision-making, all right? But the first thing he did for them, after the statement that they felt shame, God wanted to help heal them from the problem. I hope you hear me right now. When God comes in and realizes that we've done wrong, his immediate response isn't to punish us, but it's to love us, to help us pass the problem. We know what guilt and shame feels like. We've been all caught under those circumstances when we've been wrong. When we were little, we got our hand caught in the cookie jar. We ate something or went somewhere that we weren't supposed to go. We know what that feeling is to feel shame. It's no different for Adam and Eve in the garden. You felt that shame too. That shame is a burning feeling. And all you want to do is try to make it go away. And so what he did was made clothing for them. He wasn't just judging them. He was establishing the whole system that we use right now that the shedding of animal blood was a prototype for the shedding of his son's blood. And he gave them, watch this now, a covering for their sin. I hope you hear me. God knew we couldn't do it for ourselves. And so he provided a way for us to get beyond our own sin by giving us a covering for our sin. Our sin, sin has to be paid for. And God was illustrating right there in the garden, right there in the garden, the right way for us to cover our sin. Yeah, we couldn't afford to do it, but God can. And not only was he able to do it, he was willing to do it. We sinned against him, and he gave us a way to straighten it out. Now, you need to remember this now. Remember this. People will make you think that God is this, is this uber mean being who's only willing to strike us down, who only points his finger at the things we do wrong, that's what people say, but you and I know that's not true. We know and we see from Scripture that from the very beginning, the Bible is a story of love. The Bible is a story of giving. 
the, the Bible is a story of protection. God gave, loved, and protected us from the very beginning. And in fact, beyond the time of the garden, all his actions were a response to our actions. Always trying to pull us into right relationship with him. He gave us rules. We always found a way or a reason to break them. He always gave us a way to deal with the rules that were break, broken until we got to the ultimate rule, and that was the sin, and he gave us the ultimate solution, and that was his son. So what does this have to do with the family with flaws in it? Glad you asked me that question. We're going to give you these, and then we're going to get out of here because I want you to see from the very beginning yeah, the first family had problems. All right? First family had problems. This is us. This is not anybody else. We don't have to point the finger at anybody else, all right? If Adam and Eve were to stand here and tell you about their real-life family, the first thing they would tell you is that real families have problems, and it affects everybody. Real families have problems, and those problems affect everybody. Sin is never a solo pursuit. You don't sin, and it only affects you. Sin is like dropping a stone in a pond and the ripples go out and affect everything in its way. That's what sin is. What Adam did affected Adam and what they both did affected not only their sons, but it affected all of us. Even to this day, the pond is still pushing ripples out to each one of us all these many thousands of years later. We're still suffering from the sin they committed when Adam listened, when Adam and Eve followed the voice of the serpent. So when I disregard, here's your lesson, when I disregard God in my life, I adversely affect the lives of the people in my family. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Yeah, when I don't listen to what God is doing, what he's saying, then I'm making choices that will impact my family. Yeah, they are affected by that. When people go around saying, it's not going to hurt anybody but me, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a, that is a social media post. It's a lie. Sin is like a boomerang. All right? You throw it out there, it's going to damage everything in its way, and it's going to come back to you, too. But if it was not for the grace and mercy of God in that first family's life, if he had given them immediately the consequences of their actions, then you and I would all be in trouble right now. In fact, if we go right now and say, if it wasn't for his grace and mercy today in our own lives, for our own sin, we would all be struggling. Think about it. You know better than anybody what you've done wrong, what you do wrong, and but for God's grace... But for his mercy, if he just gave you the consequences, not of Adam and Eve's actions, not of your mom and daddy's actions, but of your own actions. Since you knew better, you still haven't always done better. He's still keeping you. He's still taking care of you. Yeah, when I rebel against God, my wife and children see it and sense that rebellion, and my attitude is contagious. My attitude is contagious. And that's clearly demonstrated. Here we go with the scripture about what happened to Adam and Eve and their children. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin infected their household. That flouting of God's rules, that not listening to the direction and the voice of God each day had consequences in their son. But watch this now. I hope you hear it. Listen to me. Verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 4 reads, When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also presented a gift, the best of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Verse 6 said, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? Verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Abel, by his gift, church, showed that he was a true worshiper of God. This is Abel. Abel and Cain grew up in the same tent. They ate at the table together. They did the same things each day. They both played together. They listened to the same lessons and stories from their parents, both of them. And yet, even though both of them came up the same exact way, it affected one differently than it affected the other. Abel heard the story and worshiped by faith because he knew that that was God's plan. He learned from the example set by God that true worship involved a blood sacrifice. He knew it. His parents told him. When God found out what we did, he killed an animal and gave us covering. And so he took of his firstborn and offered it to the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, offered a grain sacrifice. He didn't give up his best. We don't know the degree that he gave it, but whatever it is, can I tell you, he wasn't accepted by the Lord in his offering. It was by faith, according to Hebrews 11 and 4. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. By faith, Abel showed that he believed what God told him to do. But it was out of envy, envy, the same envy that his mama stood at that tree looking at that fruit, the same envy that mama said, well, why does God get to enjoy this fruit and we don't? The same envy is the envy that Cain felt when Abel was being celebrated by God. That envy. And so Abel, having his sacrifice rejected by God, chose to take his own brother's life. It's the same envy. It wasn't a different envy. How could it happen, y'all? It happened because the residual effects of sin from parents to children. Cain chose to make the same foolish mistakes that his parents made and he disregarded God's instructions. This self-will, this selfishness, this disobedience to God's instruction 
rubbed off on him. Cain was exposed to the same rebellious attitude that his mom and dad had. And it stuck with him. Abel, on the other hand, chose to obey. And for that, he was celebrated by God. So watch this. When I sin, it affects my family. No matter if they... No matter if they're with me all the time, I need to know that my conduct leeches off and they can sense when things are wrong. They can see when things are wrong. And so I have a responsibility to protect them by my own actions. Not only that, the next thing you need to know is I can survive my family's flaws by my faith in God's love for me. So I can come up in a family that's messed up. But it doesn't mean I, too, have to be that way. There are some things that I can do to make sure. Watch. We got the example right here. Reverend Sparks, why did you pick this? Because I got two children. They came up in the same house. One was affected negatively, and the other was affected positively. They came up in the same house. Even though Cain succumbed to the rebellious nature, Abel was faithful. Abel was blessed. And Abel was rewarded by the Lord. Because none of us grew up in perfect homes, and that's why this is us. Abel came up, and if he had to tell the story of his real family, he'd tell you we were messed up, but God is good. we just like them. we just like Cain and Abel. Our folks have flaws, too. So if you're still walking around mad at your mom and daddy because you think they had problems, guess what? You're, you're giving yourself an excuse. Yeah, because your faith in God can surpass the problems that your family had. Abel was able to overcome his family's flaws. He was walking with God just like his parents had done. In other words, he understood that God loved him and was willing to obey God. It was by faith, watch this now, not by chance that he was rewarded. It was by faith, Albert. It was by faith that Abel was rewarded. It was what he was showing. Can I tell you today, it's my faith that keeps me walking right. It's my faith that keeps God blessing me. God favored me is what you can say when you're faithful. Yeah, my enemies tried to have me, but God favored me. Why? Because of my faith. God kept me. God protected me. Was it difficult for Cain to bring an animal sacrifice because it cost more? Maybe he had to sell more grain. Maybe he would have had to benefit his brother a little bit more. He didn't try, and because of that, it was unacceptable. I can survive my family's flaws by my faith in God's love for me, and I need you to know this. I can survive my family's flaws by mastering my own view of the world. When you come up in a family that's got issues, how you view the world has a big indication on how you deal with, 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 with life. Some people come up and their worldview is that everybody's out to get me. Yeah, we grew up poor. We're going to always be poor. We ain't going to never have nothing. It's a worldview. Folk always out to get us. Black man ain't going to never have nothing. Your worldview, except if you look around, you'll see the opposite of that is true. You'll see that there are people thriving. Didn't mean they didn't have to go through something. Didn't mean they didn't have to struggle. But it simply means that their worldview is one that God still blesses folk. 
God still keeps people. God still strengthens people and puts resources in their way. That's your worldview. But if you have a negative worldview, and that's just how you see the world. If you have a skewed view of life like Cain did, then you, under, you, you think that even by not giving your best, you're supposed to be blessed. I came to tell you today that God still requires favor, still requires faith for a blessing. He still wants you to do your best. Remember what God said to Cain after he rejected his offering? Listen to this now. Tell your children this. You will be accepted if, circle that, you will be accepted if you do what is right. That's what God told Cain. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Why? Because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Genesis 4 and 7. Right there at the beginning. First child at the house doing wrong. First one had to go to family court. First one had to go get his own lawyer. First one had to learn all those rights that he had done. Somebody had to get him somebody to uh, speak for him. This is Cain, first family. All those things that our people deal with right now. Some people pay tuition for their children. Others pay bond. Same house. Same house. Yeah, some people get scholarships. No, others have to pay restitution. Same family, same family, same table, same bread, same beans, same teaching. Somewhere along the line, you got to draw personal choice into it. You got to be willing to give your best if you want to receive your best. You got to be willing to have faith that sometimes when you give your best, you still don't get your reward, but it's still validated that your best was, was worth it. Watch this now. Let me take you back to, uh, we all grew up watching Charles Schultz and his very, very psychoanalytical comic book series, Charlie Brown. I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to it, but there's a whole lot of psychology in it. Linus and Charlie Brown were having a conversation one day. And Charlie Brown, we know that Charlie Brown had the worldview that he was always going to lose. He could never kick the football. People were always taking advantage of him. If you've ever watched the series, you know Charlie Brown always felt like he was a loser. He went to Linus and he said, what would you do if you felt that nobody liked you? And Linus said, well, Charlie Brown, I guess I would take a real hard look at myself. Ask if I'm doing anything that turns people off. How can I improve myself? Do I need to change in some way? Yep, that's my answer, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown's response was, I hate that answer. Why? Because it meant all that self-analysis means I got to change something. I got to do better. I got to be more uh, uh, in tune to who I am. Instead, it's easy for me to blame everybody else. Deep down inside, we all got reservations about Linus's answer because it means we have to analyze ourselves. But can I tell you, some of us are self-serving. Some of us are jealous and envious. Some of us are still trying to get the best even though we don't give our best. Some of us are jealous and folk in our house. Can I tell you that God doesn't bless that? 
No, he doesn't bless that. We hurt those who we love sometimes out of that jealousy. God's still showing favor on you if you're willing to be faithful. So my question to you today, in your real life family, are you being faithful? Are you being helpful? Are you still mad at your brother because he got a bike when you were 12 and you didn't? Are you still struggling from those issues that you had when you were younger? Are you 50 years old and still mad because your mama didn't raise you? You're still struggling from issues that you can't control at all, at best a memory. And they may not even be the correct memory. You have the opportunity to change the way you think. Let me close with this. There's a story by a woman named Candace Cartoon. It's a true story about her real life family. She wrote an article called In God's Eyes. And she said she was about 10 years old when she realized she was ashamed of her daddy. Ashamed of him. Her friends used to talk about her daddy. They used to call him names. They called him names like Hunchback, said he was a monster, said he was Quasimoto. Some of y'all don't remember Quasimoto. Called him Little Frankenstein. The little crooked man, they called him. With the crooked little cane, they called him. Said it used to hurt at first. And then she became aware. And she started agreeing with them. She said he was ugly. Her dad. And she knew it. And she got to a place where she hated him. See, her dad was born with a disease that's in the dwarfism family that made his spine twist through no fault of his own. He started having curvature of the spine in such a violent way that it almost made him look like he was bending in two and it pulled his arm back. It was a deformity that he could not control and there was no cure for. Now when he was younger, in his teens, you couldn't hardly tell, he almost looked normal. But as he got older, it became more and more apparent. Even by the time he was about 19 years old, when he married her mother, he didn't look any different. He was still about the same size as his mother, just a little bit shorter. But as he grew older, the disease progressed and got worse. And as it got worse, she grew more and more resentful of her dad. She hated. She hated that everywhere they went, they were stared at. She hated that everywhere they went, her daddy was always there with her. She hated the fact that her daddy was known by everybody and more than anything she hated that she couldn't do anything in her life without her daddy being there. She yelled at him for no reason and he would just take it and keep going. She didn't want to be seen with him anywhere. She felt like the whole world was staring at her. By the time she was 17 years old, she had started blaming every problem she had in her life on her dad. Every problem. I don't have the right boyfriend because of my daddy. I don't drive the right car because of my daddy. I'm not pretty enough because I'm his daughter. I don't have the right job after school because of my daddy. I'm not happy, and it all goes back to my daddy. Anything that was wrong in her life, she said, she blamed on her daddy. It was because of him. Because if he had been good looking, her life would be different. Yeah. Or if he had been successful, her life would be different. 
Her life would be perfect, in fact, she thought. And so the night of her senior prom, the climax seemed to come quicker than she could imagine. She didn't find out until just before she was about to leave with her boyfriend that her dad had volunteered to chaperone the prom. She was mortified because she said, here I am on the biggest night of my life, and my dad is going to be there, and he's going to ruin this for me too. So they go to the prom, she and her boyfriend in one car, and her daddy drives in the car behind them. Fortunately, when they got to the prom, she didn't really see her daddy because there were so many decorations everywhere, she could kind of get lost in them. And then she stepped out on the dance floor for a minute to dance with her boyfriend and looked over, and she sees her best friend dancing with her daddy on the floor. And she's shocked. She said, he's just doing this to get back at me. But when she realized what was happening, her best friend was having a great time. And her daddy, who her mama said before had been a great dancer, seemed to be enjoying himself too. And she watched as girl after girl came on the floor to dance with her dad, and she thought, they're just doing this to get back at me so they can have something to say. Before long, she and her boyfriend were standing on the sideline, and he brought her some punch. And she said, well, what do you think about my daddy? Half expecting him to say something crazy. And he said, I've always liked your daddy. And she looked at him and said, how? And he said, because the day I found out that my mom and daddy were getting a divorce, everybody else left me. And your daddy sat with me and held me and cried. And that's all I ever wanted anybody to do. Your daddy was the only one who took care of me like that. And from that day forward, we've always been friends. I've always loved him. And then she asked her friend, did you just stand with my daddy just to make fun? And she said, what? She said, your dad is a great guy. We've always liked your daddy. She said, in fact, I wish my daddy could be like your daddy. She said, your daddy was always at every, everything we did. My father never came to anything we did. He never showed up at one soccer game. In fact, when we played soccer, your daddy was the only one that looked out for us. If it hadn't been for your daddy, then we would have only been there with the coach who was yelling at us the whole time. But it was your daddy who made it fun. We love your daddy. She was ashamed at that point that she had spent so much time hating her daddy. And so she asked her daddy to take her home, just too embarrassed to even confront the episode. Two weeks later, it was time for graduation. And as God would have favor in her life, she was the valedictorian, had a 4.0 GPA, and had to give the speech. And she stood to the podium, my real life family, she stood to the podium and she said, I had some remarks prepared two weeks ago where I would have thanked everybody in here who has helped me get to this point. And I thank God for it and I thank all the people who have helped me. She said, but there was one person I would have left out. And in fact, he's the most important person. He's the reason why I'm here. And she said, Daddy, will you please come stand on the stage with me? She said her daddy was shocked that he was even being talked about. 
said he's sitting there with the one suit he had that was custom made for him, holding my mama's hand. And he made his way slowly to the stage. And he stood there just looking at me. And she realized that at every point in her life, the family she loved, the father she, the fa father she despised had been at every point in her life. There's nothing in her life he hadn't been there for. Can I tell you, sometimes the flaws we see are not in other folk. Sometimes the flaws are in us. She discovered that day that the exterior problems that her daddy was having did not reveal the heart that God had blessed him with. Can I tell you, I found out growing up, me, that some of those days I spent hating my daddy, I should have been mad at myself. I was less than the person I should have been. I put stuff on him he never should have borne. He had his problems to be sure, but he didn't make every problem in the world. And as I've gotten older, he's gotten wiser. I felt better about who he was as a person. I hate I wasted so much time without getting to know him. God took that time away from me so that we couldn't get it back together. I came to tell you today, don't waste time. Every family's got flaws. Every family's got issues. Love the people God gave you. See past the issues they have. Love them past the issues they have. God did it. He loves you past your issues. What makes you any better? Guess what? He loved you enough, even after you weren't faithful to him, to still give you the best thing he could give. And that was his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, if you've been listening to me today, and you realize that you've been blaming the world on your problems when in reality, you need to start looking at the man or woman in the mirror, then I suggest to you that you start having not only a good look at yourself, but being more grateful to what God has given you. And you know what? God has given you his son, Jesus. Whether you knew it or not, he died for you. I came to tell you today that he sacrificed his life for your liberty. Yeah, he's waiting on you to be a part of this family. He loves you enough. All you have to do is accept the sacrifice that he's made. He's there. Are you willing? He's willing. He's waiting. Just accept the sacrifice of his life. Not only the sacrifice of his life, the blessing of his resurrection. Jesus loves you, so do we. My prayer is that as you examine your real life family, you'll become, of our real, become a part of our real life family too. I'm waiting on you here at Cyber Sanctuary and I can't wait to see you here in real life. God bless you today. I love you and take care of yourself.